it's Brandi Taylor. Welcome to the Business Beauty Network Podcast, where business meets beauty. It's not just lipstick, it's business. We will share thought-provoking conversations with business and beauty professionals. Our goal is to empower, motivate, and inspire you to take your business to the next level. This episode is brought to you by Creative Hair School of Cosmetology. The Creative Hair School of Cosmetology is a Black-owned family business providing a quality beauty education. This beauty school is located in Flint, Michigan and offers state-approved and accredited programs in cosmetology, aesthetics, manicuring, and natural hair. Creative Hair School and this family team will celebrate 23 years this year in 2021. Check out the school and its programs at creativehairschool.com and embrace the journey with them. Cosmetology classes start monthly. Aesthetics, manicuring, and natural hair programs are offered twice a year. Find out more information at creativehairschool.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to share today's episode with you. I had an awesome interview with Audrey Groose. She's the founder and chairman of Hope for Depression and the owner of Hope Fragrance Collection. We had a great conversation. I really was inspired learning more about Audrey's background and her extensive knowledge about the beauty industry and manufacturing and marketing and branding and her journey to where she is now and her business and her foundation that she created in the name of her mother. She shared so many gems and so much wisdom, and she just gracefully gave so so many um, tips and knowledge about this industry, and I think you're really going to enjoy her story overall. But here's a little bit of her bio. Audrey Gruss is the founder and chairman of the Hope for Depression Research Foundation, which she established in 2006 in memory of her late mother, Hope, who battled with clinical depression for decades. HDRF's mission is to fund pioneering international scientific research into the origins, diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of depression and its related mood and other emotional disorders, with the unlimited goal of finding the cure. Additionally, in 2007, Audrey created the Hope Fragrance Collection, a line of fragrance that donate 100% of net profits to the Hope for Depression Research Foundation. I think you're really going to enjoy this one, guys. And here it goes. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's your host, Brandy Taylor. We have an awesome guest today, Audrey Bruce. Welcome, Audrey. Wonderful to be here with you, Brandy. Great to have you. Great to have you. I'm super excited. So, Audrey, before we get into your foundation, all the awesome things that you're doing, tell us something about yourself that most people would not know. Share a fun fact with us. Wonderful. Well, most people don't know because I've been in New York since university that I am um, a New Jersey girl that um, after my parents came here from Europe, um, they settled in northern New Jersey. My father had been a cavalry officer in Lithuania, one of the little Baltic countries that had been taken over at the Yalta conference after World War II they gave those Baltic countries to the the Soviets. And a lot of people fled because they didn't want to be, you know, my father was in the army, so he certainly didn't want to work for the the communists. And they fled the country. And luckily they came through a sponsor, someone that they had 
that knew them um, and came to America. So I was raised in Northern New Jersey and I was always good at school. And I think that's part of my parents being um, displaced persons and having lost everything after the war. So I was a good student and my mother always wanted me to be a doctor. I was very influenced by my mother. She was a, a writer and journalist and she was very creative and very talented. And I thought, gee, that's a wonderful thing to strive for, to be a doctor. So I won a scholarship to go to Tufts University and I graduated with honors with a degree in biology, but I did not go on to medical school because it was very hard for women in those days, decades ago. And I have a degree, a Bachelor of Science, so I became the assistant to the medical director and director of pharmacological research at Revlon Research Center. It was an wow. amazing place. There was more art on the walls than in many museums. It was in the Bronx. Being a New Jersey girl, I did not know where the Bronx was, but I, by that time I was living in New York and cross commuting. So I was beating the traffic, going the other way to the Bronx, but it was fascinating work. And then I went into marketing at the Revlon uh, offices in New York. And after that, I got a position with J.P. Stevens, which was the oldest textile company in America. They were a gray goods operation. They didn't have brands and they wanted to start three hosiery brands from the ground up. And that's really where I cut my teeth on marketing and sales. And um, I went to 90 of the top 100 department stores, traveled to them in the United States presenting these three hosiery brands. We went from zero to 30 million in one year in sales. And what an extraordinary opportunity that was to learn about how products, luxury products, are created from product development to marketing through sales and then advertising. So um, I also learned about advertising there. And when I left there, I was recruited by Elizabeth Arden. When I left JP Stevens, I was director of advertising and fashion. And uh, it was a fascinating experience. We're the ones that developed the first control top pantyhose. Wow. We called it the tummy stocking. Instead of the body stocking, it was the tummy stocking. And we also put hosiery on air. We did TV ads uh, with hosiery. Um, and it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating time. Then I was recruited by Elizabeth Arden um, in the late 70s or early 80s. And it was a fascinating time. Um, I got five promotions in five years. I started in the oh. merchandising department. And we were the ones who created Purchase with Purchase. Gift with Purchase had been, as a promotional technique, had been developed by another major company, but we were the first to do a Purchase with Purchase. And I created a wonderful ceramic little planter that I really found something beautiful at Tiffany's. And we did a multicolor uh, design on it. And we had it made in the Orient uh, in Asia for a very good price. And it was QC'd out of Japan. It was made in Taiwan, but quality controlled out of Japan. And that set the whole game going for purchase with purchase and fabulous little items that uh, were, you know, the heart of the industry, the heart of the promotional aspect of the industry. 
were gift with purchase and purchase with purchase. So we made a, a big um, a big campaign out of that at Elizabeth Arden. And then we did some wonderful advertising. We went to Morocco once to photograph our shades of Marrakesh. We did not even two color promotions a year, but we sometimes did three color promotions a year. And we worked with a fabulous creative team of, you know, our packaging director, our um, internal copy people, PR people. It was a terrific, exciting time. And even now when I created my fragrance brand, I went to Mark Rosen, who I worked with in the packaging department. He was the head of packaging and I went to him to help design my fragrance bottles. Isn't that interesting? It is. You have an interesting career because who would have thought starting out looking to get into become a doctor because that was something that your mother wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. You would take this turn and end up at Revlon and start working with marketing and branding and all of those things. I didn't realize you had such a background, extensive background in marketing and branding and manufacturing, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And that is phenomenal. Now, since you've been in the industry so long, can you share like, what do you see now in the industry? that maybe from your time, the industry now can benefit from, but maybe they're not using or they have omitted it because, you know, maybe it's, you know, they thought maybe it was outdated. Now I know the gift with purchase and everything is still something that is true to the day. I know at Nordstrom's and all Macy's, all those places, that's still something that is done. But is there anything else that you feel like that from then till now has really shifted and changed, but it, you know, could have remained. Well, let me first answer the first part of it. Actually, after Elizabeth Arden, um, Arden wanted to give me a vice presidency, but no increase in salary, if you can imagine. And I had to handle 55 advertising for 55 countries around the world. And I said, thank you very much, but I'm not going to do this. And um, and I started my own international marketing company where we found distribution for certain products that were European products, but they didn't want to start their own sales distribution, uh, you know, et cetera. And it was very successful for a few years. And then one of the my um, projects had been to work with the Doral hotels. They had the Doral spa in Miami and they asked me to come in and do a product line and instead of just a product line I had just been to Italy at Cosmoprof at one of the trade shows and found a beautiful line called Terme di Saturnia it was scientific skincare because the waters in that area had plankton and materials that when broken down closely resembled the composition of human skin the vitamins and minerals in human skin. And it was a beautiful line. And I negotiated to bring that to the Doral. We created the Doral Saturnia Spa. And at this, that was the same year that I got married. And I found that I couldn't travel when I was launching at 38 of the, uh, of the, of the uh, Saks Fifth Avenue stores. I found that I have to be like in Miami, um, for a five o'clock radio interview and then to be at the store for store appearance and then whatever. And I couldn't go home to my husband. So at a certain point I thought, what is wrong with this picture here? 
And I really sold back my share of the company back to the Doral because I absolutely couldn't work. I wanted to be with this wonderful man that I met and married and fell in love with. Right. Who wants to work all the time? No one wants to work that much. Well, instead, what I went into was the field of philanthropy. My husband's family had been very philanthropic. It was a whole different level, not just giving your time, but we were able to donate. We counted one year. Our accountant said that we donated to over 200 charities in one way or another. So that became the core of my life for a good. We've been married now 33 years. So for 20 to 25 years, I was just doing philanthropy and working with great charities and you know, doing events and both fundraising dollars and both donating. So I had that background of marketing and advertising. And then I started this amazing foundation called Hope for Depression Research Foundation because my mother had had depression and I wanted to do more in the field because there have been no new antidepressants in the market for 35 years. Everything is wow. based on Prozac. Wow. I hadn't realized that, that it was that long of a span, like 35 years and nothing mm-hmm. had changed to treat depression. Mm-hmm. What happened is I was in, in, the market, in the market, in advertising and marketing. And when I left that in the late 80s, I did philanthropy for another 20 years, 25 years. And when I designed the Hope Fragrance line, I'll tell you why I did that. I found that all of my skills that I had used in the marketplace came back to me. You don't forget years of automatic, you know, it's like habits. If you're working in marketing and working in advertising, the things you learn, the things that you do, I was a creative director, they're a part of you. And this is very good information for those who want to get back into business and want to get back into the workplace. People who take time out to have children or take time out to go to school or whatever they do for time out. And then once their children are grown or away at school, they want to go back into the field. Don't be afraid of doing that because your talents and your abilities and your education are all a part of you and it stays with you. The instincts are there. And that's what happened to me. So after I started the foundation, I realized that research is a very time-consuming, painstaking, very detailed process if you're doing major university research. And I wanted to get our message about depression out into the field and into the marketplace And by designing the fragrance line and having an insert in every package of fragrance, I thought I could reach tens of thousands, if not millions of women with our message about depression and that we need research in depression and that we need much more um, knowledge about depression because most people don't even know exactly what it is or what causes it. And that's how that happens. So when I went back into the field, it was fascinating because it was like, like learning, you know, when you learn to ride a bike, it was like riding a bike. The specifics that you asked me, what's different in the field now, 25 or 30 years 
after I had been in major business. What's, what's different is how much is the same. It is amazing to me. The major difference is online sales and the online podcasts and the online um, sales of product. Uh, that is the major difference. Retail and bricks and mortar kind of retailing, it's amazing how little has changed. Everything we were doing, everything we learned is just adapted because of the technology. But whatever process in designing a product and bringing it to market is absolutely the same. Things might happen faster, they might happen, communication is faster because of Zoom, because of the computers. So the computer has changed the speed of things, but the process, the intellectual process is very much the same. That's interesting. That's interesting to learn. So not much has changed other than the speed of things. I'm surprised to hear that. I, I And the internet, and the internet, sales on the internet. is. I don't know the statistics right now, but no, definitely, especially during the pandemic, sales on the internet have skyrocketed, as we know. Mm-hmm. And there are many bricks and mortar store closings, but it absolutely is so much the same that, you know, the process of making a present, developing a product, making a presentation to a retail store, uh, doing the follow through, doing the promotional aspects, the advertising, it's like, I just put on my roller skates and was roller skating right back in. Of course, you have to know changing demographics and changing audiences and all of that, but it's still a human business. You deal with buyers, you make presentations, you want that product to succeed. So you do all the things you can in sales promotion and advertising to help it be a success. And it's a very exciting business. It always was. And I think it always will be because beauty is so essential to women's welfare. It is part of how they feel about themselves, part of the face and body that they present to the world. And it plays a much bigger role in that. I think women understand that more. And they they get it through podcasts and through other kind of information that happens now on, on online, but your in-store process is so much the same that it is just remarkable. So what tips would you give someone who was looking to start their own cosmetic brand right now? I would say you have to have a unique selling proposition. That's what we needed 30 years ago, is what we need today, USP. What sets your product apart from anybody else's? You have to be different. Otherwise, you're a me too. Maybe you'll, you're, you're happy with just a share of the market. But if you want to really be successful, set yourself apart. Have a product or a concept that is different. And then get the best people to help you market it. To help you sell it, distribute it, and to do the advertising and promotion on it. Great advice. Thanks so much for sharing. Absolutely. Uh, Audrey, I want to go into your story because I feel you have an interesting story. So I want you to share a little bit about what it was like growing up with your mother, with her condition and some of those things. Well, I tell you, when my mother had in the 50s, when she had her nervous breakdown, 
my sisters, my two sisters and I were young kids. We didn't know what was happening. Our mother was always the same. And then all of a sudden she had a nervous breakdown. We now know that what they just generically called a nervous breakdown was major depressive disorder. So mother had major depression. She was taken to a hospital. She um, was treated there. They didn't tell the families very much about conditions then. But when she came back, she was more like herself, but never the same person. She went to the best doctors over the years and got supposedly the best treatment. But after she passed away in 2005, I asked her doctor and I spoke to other doctors. I said, why didn't she get full relief of her symptoms? Why wasn't she the mother that we knew? You know, the creative, outgoing, life-loving kind of person because they explained more about depression. Depression is the number one reason in the world for disability. Depression has had 20 million people who struggled with it in America before the pandemic. And during the pandemic, there was a CDC and Census Bureau study, a combined study done that showed us that 41% of Americans had some form of depression or anxiety. And it's a terrible thing. Our brain is so combined with our body that people think they're so into their bodies and exercise or whatever, when our brain is what makes us function. So it's so important to know more about it. And depression is like the common cold of mental health. 95% of mental health illnesses are either depression or it's umbrella of illnesses, bipolar, post-traumatic stress disorder, postpartum depression or anxiety. And those are non-psychotic, they're in touch with reality, but they're like the common cold. And I wanted to find out what causes depression and find new treatments for it. Because today, the last great antidepressant category that was developed and introduced to the market was Prozac. And everything you see advertised on television, whether it's Effexor, Pristique, or Cymbalta, or I can't even remember the names, they're all variations of that SSRI type of medication. 35 to 50% of people who need medication do not respond to those. There's a critical need for new antidepressants that don't have side effects and that people respond to when they don't respond to these SSRIs and SNRIs. And that's why I was so excited about thinking that even I as a private citizen could start something and help in this great big field that I could make a difference. And today, 15 years later, our foundation is the number one foundation in the country for depression research. I named it after my mother, Hope. How ironic is that, Brandy? And I called it Hope for Depression Research Foundation. And in the last seven years of the foundation, we put together a depression task force with a team of doctors from Canada, the US, Germany, amazing team of doctors that are the best in their particular areas. 
And we insisted that all the work they do be collaborative, that they work together, share that information and speed up the process. And they absolutely are because we right now have in clinical trials at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York and Columbia Presbyterian in the Bronx, we have a new potential category of antidepressant that's in clinical trials. We'll know in about six months to a year if it can go to the next stages of it. And this might help those 35 to 50% of people. I mean, right now you're talking about 150 million Americans struggling with some form of depression. And if we come up with a new antidepressant, it's going to be a game changer. Hey, everyone, it's Brandy. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I absolutely enjoy bringing this awesome content to you. Look, beauty professionals, this show is for you. And I want to make sure we can continue to bring our awesome guests and awesome information to help empower the beauty community all over the world. You can help by doing your part in making a small donation. You can check our link in the show notes and donate right on Anchor, or we'll have another link available for you to do so. Thank you so much for supporting. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and you're sharing it as well. As always, stay great. Yes, I think something definitely needs to change. And they, I am thankful for your foundation, Hope for Depression, that is doing some research. And I love that you could have maybe tried to find someone else who was raising funds for depression or doing something for that cause, but you decided to take this matter into your own hands, bringing together a team of researchers and doctors and experts so that they can help you to find something else to treat this condition. Yeah. So I, w- I want to know, like, I-, I know, I understand that you connected with depression through growing up with your mother who went through yes, this from exactly. depression. But what made you decide to start your own foundation, taking the matter into your own hands? Well, as I had alluded to, I was doing philanthropy and philanthropic charity work for about 20 years. And I kind of knew the process. I got to learn the process the way I did in luxury product marketing. I learned the process of fundraising and also getting donations from other people and giving events and all of that. So we had at one time uh, had our accountant check and we saw that we had given our foundation, our family foundation had given to over 200 different charities in one year. And they were all excellent, all wonderful, all good causes. They were in the culture and the arts and some other medical uh, sciences and in uh, education. So it was very, very exciting work. And I loved doing it. But when I heard the status of what was happening in depression research, first of all, nothing new for 35 years, right? No other new uh, antidepressants on the market. And how critical the the thing was because pharmacological research was not the answer seven of the 10 leading pharmaceutical companies had stopped doing brain research about 10 years ago when I first started. I saw that and I saw the statistics and I thought, you know something? I know how to bring people together and I know how to be a creative director 
And with my degree in biology, I wasn't afraid to talk to any doctor. So I thought if I can put together a team of top neuroscientists and my husband and our foundation gave us the seed money to start so that we didn't have to start on a shoestring. I wanted to do it in a very, very quality top way. Um, I figured, why not? I've had successes for other charities. Why not try to do something in something that was right under my nose all this time? I never knew that I could be helpful in the area of mental health, which my mo mother struggled with her whole life. I never knew that, but I thought, I believe in myself. I know what skills I have, I have a great education. Why not see what I could do that would be different? And my difference was from working for years with committees and working with creative people also and retailers and getting differences of opinion and working with those and seeing how you can um, work it out to create the best product, the best ad, the best anything. I thought, let's see if collaboration will make a difference. And I insisted that this depression task force we started, that it worked together and that these doctors share information in real time. Science had been done in silos. It still is. Every university, every medical center tries to raise the most money for its research labs. And then they write papers or they go to conferences every two years or so to try to disseminate the information and share it with the rest of the world. But these doctors share it in real time as they're doing their research, they put it into a data center, the Hope Data Center at the University of Michigan. And they talk to each other, they get together, they share their animals in their animal research and the data. And that's why they've been working so fast that in research time, it's been amazingly fast in terms of what happened with this one medication that we are now in clinical trials with. In seven years, you know, it took cancer 60 years to get to the place now where they have targeted uh, technology. Um, so I just took the plunge. I had, it's like believing in yourself whether you're starting a brand or you're starting a nonprofit, believe in yourself, believe in your own skills. And I really did have a motivation because of my mother. I saw how she struggled. I understood that whole terrible, terrible illness. And I really wanted to make a difference and we're making a difference now. One of the things, Brandy, that we did, because I knew how long this research was taking, and would continue to take, I thought, what product could I do where I reached women, just because I wanted to start with a product for women, and my mother for years would take different, I saw her, I remembered her at her night table, at her dressing table. She loved white fragrances, and she loved different mixing them, different kinds. So she would have a bottle of Christian Dior Mouguet de Bois or Lily of the Valley. She'd have Fraca, which was a tuberose-based uh, scent. She'd have Elizabeth um, Taylor's Gardenia. She'd have something else for Jasmine. And I remember I was saying, why do, you, why do you layer it? 
because she liked to create her own unique fragrance. Not just one note, but she'd mix the notes and every day she'd have a different kind of fragrance. It was so clever. And that came to me, literally came to me one day as I was thinking, how can we speed things along? Part of our mission is not just research, it's raising awareness and education about depression. And I thought, my God, if we can get a product out there and reach tens of thousands and maybe millions of women, each insert in each package had our backstory. It had the message of my mother's depression, how she loved flowers, and I created this fragrance based on beautiful white flowers. That's the DNA of our brand. So the first product I created was hope. And hope is in this very upward lifting kind of bottle. It was designed by Mark Rosen, who's a great packaging designer and had worked at Arden with me when I was there. And so this is hope. It's a combination of fusion of four white flowers. It's magnificent, absolutely delicious. And we launched that two years ago. And then we went to Bergdorf Goodman. They loved the brand and the concept so much that they asked me to create some additional fragrances. So we did Hope Sport. It has an elongated neck, very upward lifting. And the Hope original is a gold neck. This is a chrome or silver neck. And the fragrance is very citrusy and green and very sporty. It's like you put it on when you put on your gym clothes in the morning and you don't take it off. If you love it, you just keep putting it on. Then I created Hope Night. And this is a very romantic, sensual fragrance that's made up of delicious scents. It's vanilla and amber and plum and patchouli and vetiver, very exotic. Some of them are spicy fragrances that's got kind of an oriental feel. They call these oriental based. So these three make up the lifestyle collection. From morning till night, we've got a hope fragrance that works for you. And they're at Bergdorf Goodman and they're on Bergdorf online. So it's a very important way to reach our audience. And as I say, now we have thousands of women reading about our message understanding about depression, and some of them support support the brand because 100% of net profits from each of our products, and we have abandoned body lotion, we've got a candle, we've got purse sprays, 100% of our net profits goes back to charity, to the Hope for Depression Research Foundation, where it's put every cent is put into research. So that is the unique selling proposition of Hope Fragrance and why we're very different to anybody else in the field. Yes, that's a unique proposition for sure, unique selling proposition for sure. Especially, I I was gonna ask you that, but you kind of went into it and that's great. I was definitely going to ask you because you could have started a foundation for depression, hope for depression, just to raise funds to support depression. But instead, you decided to incorporate the story of your mother's love for fragrance and creating a fragrance line. And that gave the whole story behind the line. So I I really love that. I think that is definitely phenomenal. I'm surprised. I don't hear many foundations that put 100 percent. 
of proceeds into the uh, foundation and into the research. Well, so how are let's you separate. Able to do that? Yeah, Brandy, let's separate the foundation from the product. Our foundation is a nonprofit foundation, and that's where we do our research and are raising awareness and fundraisings to support more research to cure depression, ultimately to do new medications and treatment, but for prevention and to ultimately cure it. But a holistic approach. hmm? What about a holistic approach? Have you? Well, this is very much holistic because we say that as you seek a balance of body and mind, wear hope and lift your senses. The beauty of the fragrances is so special that when you smell it, your whole being gets uplifted. It's the opposite of when you smell something nasty or not nice. You really kind of, ooh, you're turned away and turned off. So it's just, they're so beautiful that they're really uplifting. And remember, we're a profitable company with Hope for Depre- with the Hope Fragrances and a hundred percent of our sales goes back to charity because we only want to make the money so we can give it back and give it into research. It's a nonprofit working with a profit. I'm president uh, of the Hope Fragrances for profit, but we, because we're everything is so charity oriented, are saying a hundred percent of our net profits. We only want to make money to give it back to charity. And the reason most people don't do it because they're in the for-profit business, right? Most of the beauty business is for-profit. People wanna make money from it. I do too, but only for charitable purposes. That's what makes us so, so unique. I think that is phenomenal. And I commend you for doing that because depression is something that I feel like people sweep under the rug. You know what I mean? They sweep it under the rug. And it's something that we need more information on, more research. I feel there's a lot of people walking around functionally depressed. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. You're very, very astute about that. Most people don't really know what depression is. And it is a mind and body illness that affects the mind. And it also affects the body. We have a fundraising lunch every year and we take a different topic. So we've had men in depression, children in depression, we've had anxiety, we've had um, body pain and depression. And at the body pain luncheon, an orthopedic surgeon, one of the leading ones here in New York, told us that 60% of his patients with back pain are also depressed. And he he treats the body part of it, the back pain, but he often recommends that they see a psychiatrist to treat the mind part because we don't, we don't know which one is the chicken or the egg, but it absolutely needs dual treatment. It's dual diagnosis and needs dual treatment. Yes, yes. And people think, you know, some people who don't know, who are ignorant of, of the facts about it, just think, oh my goodness, you know, just pull yourself by your bootstraps or because they can't see the illness. They think it's not a real medical illness. They think it's something that, oh, you're just faking or, you know, you've got so much in life. Why don't you just feel better? Snap out of it. You cannot snap your way out of major depression. 
And everybody can get a little depressed. I mean, that's just normal through life. But if your depression and your symptoms last more than two weeks in five of these particular areas, you should definitely get some help for depression. The first thing is if you're eating too much or too little, if your whole eating habits change, if you're sleeping too much or too little, that can unbalance you. If you don't get pleasure in the basic things that you've done your whole life, let's say you love going to the movie on the weekends and don't want to go to the movies anymore. You just don't get any pleasure from it. That's not right. That's a sign of something. If you're constantly blaming yourself, if you think that you feel, if you think that you're guilty, you did something wrong that you have nothing to do with. I feel so badly because the Democrats are in, um, in, in politics. You have nothing to do with that. Why are you blaming yourself? But people ruminate. They think they're bad, that they've done bad things, that they're guilty over things that they really shouldn't be. That's a sign. Also, if you can't concentrate, if you have tremendous difficulty concentrating on things, then if you have body pain, and I can't remember the other three, but I will send you the 10 signs of depression. So you might share that with your audience. And if you have a friend, everybody of us knows somebody who either has depression or might have depression. We're all a step away from it, directly or indirectly. And if you have a close friend or an associate, business associate, and you see that there's something off and you've noticed that you know they're not eating, they told you they're not sleeping, if they talk to you and they say, oh, I feel so guilty about this, or they don't want to do the things you know that you shared with them, gently offer to take them to go with them to their internist or take them to a doctor and go with them. Offer to share that experience that you'll take them by the hand and they'll go with you. And of course, they'll probably be treated by the internist, but then he'll recommend them to a proper mental health um, worker, whether it's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or whatever. So that's the best thing we can do for our associates, our friends, our loved ones. Be very gentle with them, but if we notice they're off, they probably are and something is happening. Yes, yes. And I think people need to be a little bit more sensitive about those things as well and giving space for people who may be going through that to open up and talk about it. So definitely. And I know a lot of women um, struggle as well because sometimes women feel like they, the need to be super women, your mom, your wife, you run a mm-hmm. business, you do all these things. Mm-hmm. And especially, um, of course, this podcast is, is catered towards beauty professionals. And so oftentimes the beauty professionals are pampering other people, caring for other people, beautifying other people. But exactly. What, But what about them? What about themselves? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, Brandy. That's that's exactly what happens. Women carry such a burden, the emotional responsibility for themselves and their family. And it's really very hard. I mean, there are no super women. They are terrific women who are overachieving because, you know, then they get under stress. And stress is one of the causes of the triggers, one of the triggers for depression. Mm-hmm. So in addition to finding uh, 
research that will help to treat depression and, and all of those things? Is your organization looking for cures and other things and other ways to help the cause? Well, absolutely. Our researchers are looking for several things. In the research that they do, we're looking for how depression is formed in the brain. So they're looking for molecular, they're looking for genetic, epigenetic, which is environmental, how does the environment affect us? And while they're studying all this, part of it is to see how we can prevent depression, right? So we wanna know how to prevent it. We wanna know how it's caused, then the circuits in the brain, what happens on the circuits in the brain, where does it travel in the brain? So while we're doing all this research, the objective is to get new and better and more effective medications. And then ultimately, we want some kind of diagnostic physical markers, whether it's a blood test and an fMRI image or something. We'd love to have, rather than having a subjective test that a psychiatrist asks you different questions and you self-evaluate and then they evaluate you, we'd like to have a physical, as close we can to a physical test for depression, and then ultimately, ultimately a cure for depression. So all those different aspects are what our research does because you want to be able to prevent it better treatments, and to cure it. And that's what Hope for Depression Research Foundation is doing. My reason for doing the fragrance was to get that message out there, to get more people out there aware of depression and taking themselves to a doctor. 50% of the people who need medication or, or therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, for example, aren't seeking help. They're not seeking help. They're committing suicide or they lead miserable, unhappy lives. They're not functioning at their best. And that's what I hoped with the fragrance we would be able to do is get the message out there more. Start with women. If it's very successful, we may do a men's fragrance. You know, try to get the message out to men. I was going to ask you if you had plans to expand the line at all. I do, but it's all going to be based on how successful it is and how um, how Bergdorf feels too. We want to go beyond Bergdorf. Bergdorf has been amazing to us and with us, but we launched these two new products in the middle of the COVID. So we still have to give it a little bit of a chance to reach its own level of success. Awesome, awesome. Um, can you tell people how they can support your organization and find you online? Absolutely. For the Research Foundation, they can go to hopefordepression.org. All one word, hopefordepression.org. And to buy the fragrances or to try them even, you can go to Bergdorf or bg.com or we can go online to our fragrance on a, a website, which is hopefragrances.com hopefragrances.com. Great. I'll make sure I keep all of that information in the show notes. So Audrey, can you share any, you know, last final information you want to share with us before we go? Yes. I think that only in America can we do 
something like this, where we have an idea, we put our whole energy and our backgrounds and our whole passion behind it, and we can make things happen. I think this is one of the greatest countries in the world. And I think that we have to believe in ourselves, believe in the best that we can be and the best that we can do and go for it. Whatever ideas you have, whatever, don't be afraid, go for it and put yourself behind it and you'll see that exciting things can happen. Awesome. Audrey, thank you so much for being on the podcast and all the phenomenal things that you're doing. I'll make sure I leave all the information in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and share. As always, stay great and we are out. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Make sure you subscribe. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I want to hear from you. Email me at info at businessbeautynetwork.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I am Brandy Taylor and Facebook at I am Brandy Taylor. I want to connect with you. So let's stay connected. And remember that all things are possible if you only believe. Stay great.